0: The No Sleep Podcast presents the exclusive 10-part audio adaptation of Alexander Gordon Smith's epic tale, This Book Will Kill You. This Book Will Kill You is the story of Tommy Bright, a young woman who dreamt about a witch, a room, and a table full of meat. This is her story. This is about what happens when the witch comes back to finish what she started. But be warned, because this book just might kill you. The First Part This book will
1: kill you. This book has already killed you. You were a dead thing the moment you heard these words. You were a dead thing when you opened the first page. You were a dead thing when you saw the cover. You were a dead thing the very instant you discovered this story even existed. The very instant you heard somebody whisper its name. Because if you know about the book, then she knows about you. If you know about the book, then she sees you. She's watching you right now. Can you feel her there? She's sitting right behind you. You started to read, and her eyes peeled open, and her lips peeled open, and she saw you. And she's grinning her moon-yellow grin because she knows there's nothing you can do to stop her. She's already killed you. This book has already killed you. So it doesn't matter if you read on or not. There's nothing you can do to change things now. One day, very soon, she'll let you see her. You'll turn your head and she'll be there, sitting beside you. Or she'll open her mouth and let you hear her dusty voice. And you won't be able to unhear her. You won't be able to make it stop. One day soon, she'll reach out and scratch her crackbone finger down your cheek. Or you'll wake to find her bird-nest body pressed against yours. Her fingers worrying themselves beneath your skin. There's nothing you can do to stop her. Not now, not ever. But if you want to keep reading, then who am I to stop you? Maybe you'll find something I didn't. Maybe you'll find a way to make her unsee you. Maybe. She's closer now. I think you must have felt that. She's right there. Her forehead is almost touching the back of your head. Her bulging eyes are almost touching the back of your neck. She wants you to turn around. She wants you to see her. Don't. Not yet. You're dead. She's already killed you. This book has killed you. But don't turn around yet. You might have a few hours left. Days, maybe if somebody else starts reading this book as well. Weeks, if the whole world starts reading. But if you see her now, the rot and horror will eat you up fast. She sees you. She is on her way. Don't turn around, dead thing. Don't stop now, dead thing. Just read. I don't remember much from my childhood, but I remember this. I remember that moment between dreaming and waking, that moment where you're swimming up from golden dreams, crossing that liminal, magical, no man's land where two worlds collide. I remember knowing that dreams were safe, that waking was safe, but that space in the middle where you're neither one thing nor the other That's a bad place. A dangerous place. There's nothing to protect you there. There's nowhere to hide. And that's where she always found me. She would wait for me, right on the edge of a dream, pulling a cloak of cold darkness behind her. Not her, exactly, because she was never there herself. Just a force that would wrench me up, up, over the streets over cars and buses and people, down into the darkest parts of the city to the tall building where she lived. And I'd see it. I'd see her window, as crooked as a mouth, getting closer and closer and closer, and there was nothing I could do but be pulled through it. God, the dread. It's the kind of fear you can only ever really have in a nightmare. It consumes you. It's an ecstasy of terror because your eyes roll up and your body convulses and there's a pair of electric hands wrapped tight around your spine and your skull squeezing your mind into oblivion. You literally lose everything of yourself to it. She brings me to a room. The floor bare wood. The walls plaster. There's nothing in here except dirt and it's dark but there's another door right in front of me. And through it, I can see an old kitchen, the stove on, a saucepan bubbling, all of it cut into harsh lines by a single bright bulb hanging above the table. There's meat on that table, a butcher shop's worth, a sweet, stinking butcher shop's worth. And I know she's there too, because I can hear her. I can hear her moving toward the door. She can't move quickly, she's too old for that, but she's coming, her bare feet scuffing the floor, the lump of her hand knocking against the wall, her hazel twig fingers bristling. She's grinning. I can't see her, but I know she's grinning. I can feel it through the wall, as bright as the bulb. She's grinning, because she knows I'm not going anywhere. She's right. I might as well be wrapped in duct tape. I cannot move. I cannot breathe. I just stare at that door, seeing her shadow flood the floor like dirty water, seeing the eclipse of her head push itself around the sill, twisted and bent, her face buried in clumps of matted hair, but one eye sliding up in its socket, one blistered, boiling eye, and beneath it, one arm, too long and broomstick-thin sliding out to touch me and I know I know that if those crack boned fingers touch me I'll never be able to leave this place so I fight it I fight it like there was somebody on top of me pinning me down I fight it like there was a hand over my mouth and nose and I was out of air I kick against the broken shell of my body I punch I open my mouth and scream and scream and scream until suddenly my body responds and I'm screaming in the dream I'm kicking, I'm hitting, and that same force sweeps me up like a pair of arms around my middle and pulls me back out the window and back through the city, and I can still see that shadowed body grunt and slide through the doorway, her arm outstretched. I can still see her eye watching me go. I can hear her laughing, because she knows I'll be back. She knows that one day, I won't get out in time. I don't remember much from my childhood, but I remember this. I remember it because i had that dream a hundred times and every time i'd wake up gripped by such a violent fear that it would take my parents hours to calm me i had that dream again and again and again until one day i didn't one day i got away for good at least that's what i thought right up until the day the police showed up at my door and asked me if i knew the dead girl The first I know about it is when Donnie kicks open my bedroom door and screams at me through a crescendo of guitars and drums. I snap the laptop shut out of habit, even though there's nothing on the screen I need to hide. It takes me a moment to understand he's not singing the lyrics to Enter Sandman, and I use my shoulder to slide the headphone from my ear. The door! Christ, Tommy, just forget about it! He stamps off down the hall without even letting me know what I should be forgetting. Then I hear the thump of a fist on glass and mom's voice from the bathroom. Tommy! Go get the goddamn door! And it all suddenly makes sense. I'm up in a heartbeat, following Donnie down the stairs. I got it. But he's making a point of it now, stomping to the front door. There's a pair of shadows hanging in the marbled glass broken into a thousand pieces. Wait, Donnie, hang on. He slides the dead bolt and opens it, and by the time I've caught up with him, the two men on the doorstep are practically inside. They're both as old, gray, and tired as their suits, but the brass badges clipped to their belts look brand new.
2: Thomas and Bright.
1: The guy on the left looks at Donnie, then at me. It's like he struck me in the heart with a sculptor's hammer because nobody ever comes to the door and asks for me. Not least, a couple of cops.
2: It's an easy question.
1: The other man puts his foot on the door sill and rocks impatiently.
2: If you get this one right, the rest should be no problem.
1: Yeah, I say, not quite ready to step out of their way. Yeah, sorry, I'm Thomason, Tommy.
2: Can we come in?
1: The first cop scratches at his stubble with yellow fingers. I can see the gun holstered at his hip, and so can Donnie because his eyes light up. I glance upstairs, then back. Our mom's in, I say, not quite sure why I'm saying it. She's in the bath.
2: I'm very happy for her, but you're the one we want to speak with. Call her down.
1: He pushes inside, and I don't have any choice but to stand back, choking on the coffee and cigarette perfume of him. I'm starting to walk to the stairs then change my mind and head for the kitchen, then change my mind again and head back to the stairs. Mom? The police are here. Can you come down? I hear a violent splash of water, as if she's been dunked. A squeak of heavy flesh, then a series of muttered curses. The cops are hanging in the hallway, and I skirt around them, heading for the kitchen again. Donnie skips around their feet.
2: Is she in trouble? Did she kill someone? Are you gonna take her away? Is she going to prison?"
1: The cops walk to the breakfast bar, one of them perching on a stool and prodding a fruit bowl that contains nothing but dust. It's not exactly awful in here, but it's not exactly spotless, either. The paint is peeling off the walls, and there's a huge patch of dry rot that almost looks like a person right opposite me. I wonder why I've never noticed it before. I hover in the door, wondering if I should clean some stuff up. It doesn't feel right that anyone should see our house. It's like somebody peeling open the top of my head and having a good look inside. The standing cop laughs, and some of the (laughs) tension leaks out of the room. He's younger than the other guy by about a decade, although he must still be pushing 50. He reaches out and scruffs Donnie's hair.
2: You angling for her bedroom, kid? Sorry to disappoint you. Your sister's in no trouble. We just need to ask a few questions. Clear something up, okay?
1: I'm still bouncing on my heels in the kitchen door. And even though he smiles again, I only really relax when I hear Mom thumping down the stairs. She's in her bathrobe, a towel wrapped around her hair. And she's going so fast she misses the last step, cussing as she limps past me. You okay? I can see her lip trembling. What's wrong? I'm not sure why she's so worried, because both her kids are here, safe, and dad's not coming back from the grave anytime soon. The thought that nothing can be seriously wrong makes me a little less worried too, and I follow her in, standing on the other side of the bar. The younger cop lifts his hands, flashing that smile again.
2: Easy, nobody's in trouble. I'm Detective Cyrus, that's Detective O'Connell. I'd like to say call us Alfredo and Frank, but the honest truth is we're not going to be here for long enough.
1: He holds out his hand, and O'Connell hands him a manila folder, which he lays down on the bar. It's resting on a bed of breadcrumbs, and I'm so preoccupied with the thought of brushing them away that it takes me a moment to notice he's opened it.
2: Mrs. Bright?
1: Mom nods, holding the gown to her chest.
0: Mary!
2: Thank you, Mary. Frank and I are here because we're... Investigating a death. A teenage girl from across town.
1: A death? Mom looks like she's going to keel over, and I think it's more to do with the hot bath than the cops. Maybe a bit of both. Detective O'Connell is on it, pushing off the stool and offering it to her. She doesn't accept, because there's no way she's climbing on that thing without going all basic instinct on them. She leans on the bar instead, smudging mascara down her cheek.
2: Again, we're not accusing any of you of anything. We're just following leads, absolutely nothing else. Cyrus looks
1: down at Donnie, who's staring at the open file.
2: Your sister's not going to prison and you're not getting her bedroom. It's an unexplained death.
1: O'Connell, obviously irritated, pats his pocket with yellow fingers like he's checking for his cigarettes.
2: A girl called Kara Pierce. She was found dead a couple of weeks ago. Did you know her?
1: everybody looks at me and i shake my head
2: she went to fullerson no reason why your paths would cross she was 16. like me nice kid i think good group of friends nice family her mom found her a week ago she died in the night she'd he
1: shrugs looking at donnie again
2: you don't need to know the details we're not sure yet But we want to be sure.
1: So, if I didn't know her, and you don't suspect anyone... I chew on my thumbnail like it's candy. Detective Cyrus thumps the folder with his fist. Twice.
2: Kara was a writer.
1: Like me, I think. And this time I feel the goose flesh slide down my arms like a fish nudging the surface of a pond.
2: I mean, young and unpublished, but, you know, she liked to write. She was in the middle of writing something.
1: A note? The detective shakes his head.
2: Not that kind of note, no. A story, we think. Something pretty scary. Although, who am I to judge? I'm a royal wimp when it comes to horror. It's not her story we're interested in, though.
1: O'Connell lifts a sheet of paper from the folder and slides it across the bar. He's giving it to me, but Mom snatches it from him. I watch her eyes dart over it the lines making her brow crease like old parchment. It's yours. She passes it to me. I don't want to look, but I don't not want to either. It takes me a while to recognize it, because the paper is so wrinkled with folds and so heavy with annotation, the original type is barely visible. When I read the first line, though, I might have just inhaled a marble. I literally cannot make my lungs work. I was six years old when I first saw the witch.
0: It is yours, then?
1: It's hers.
2: She's always writing that shit. No offense, Tommy.
1: None taken.
2: I always told her they'd, you know, mess with her brain or something. I I don't know where it comes from. It's not for me, that's for sure. I like them.
1: A rare show of support from Donnie.
2: They're gross. I'm not allowed to read them, but I do. You've done nothing wrong
1: cyrus holds his hands up to me like i'm about to jump from the roof
2: we're just looking for answers
1: yeah i say i squeak because my lungs have only just remembered what to do i clear my throat, <clears> throat> i mean i wrote it ages ago i wrote it when i was like 12. it's not very good it wasn't very good it had been one of the first things i would ever written And the first thing i'd ever posted online it was a true story if anything written about a dream can be true that is it was the story of how i used to dream about flying a kitchen a table full of meat and a witch i was still having the dreams back then but they'd stopped not long after i always thought they'd stopped because i'd written them down
2: hey i'm not the new york times review of books (laughs) To be honest, I thought it was pretty good. But what I really want to know is why Kara was so interested in this tale of yours. She'd printed it out... Eighteen times. More, maybe. We're still going through all the garbage. And each one is as messed up as that. All kinds of notes. All kinds of, uh, uh, Who knows what scrawled all over the page.
1: I scan down. Read one. The dream. Always the dream she likes the happy ones best. Her handwriting is scratchy, the letters all over the place. Most of the notes are in red, but some are in black, blue, and there's even a green one that just reads window.
2: Can you give us any reason, any reason at all, why Kara might have been so fixated with this story?
1: I shake my head. No.
2: Not just this one. There were dozens more, all pulled from online, all printed out and buried in notes. All horror stuff, but not all yours. And you're talking to those writers, too?
1: Cyrus shrugs.
2: They're not always easy to find, and nobody else is local. We wanted to run it by you first, Thomasine... Tommy, just to see if there was anything we could go on. Might just be Kara was a young girl who loved to read scary stuff, and who decided to...
1: What he doesn't say is louder than if he'd just shouted it. Even Donnie's gone quiet, like he's suddenly tuned in to what they're saying. It's just a story. I wrote it because I had these dreams when I was a kid. Nightmares. They were about a witch. Oh, Christ. That fucking witch. The sleep we
2: lost because of her. Just dreams?
1: I can see Cyrus's detective brain trying to pry open my past. I try to smile. Yeah, sure. Just dreams. Stupid kid dreams. I don't know why I got so scared. Her single, boiling blister of an eye. Just thinking about it now brings that electric charge again. Makes the skin of my face feel too tight. Just dreams. And, you know, I wrote a story to help. I make the gesture of something flying out of my head. The papers in my hand rustling to just get it the hell out of there. I posted it online, on creepy.com That's uh, creepy with three E's. It's like a horror version of Wattpad I've had an account there for years
2: bright with underscores four and aft?
1: Yeah I nod, wondering if they've read all my stories I can feel the furnace beneath my cheeks suddenly fire up I mean, they're all old. They're not great, or good, or like...
2: And they're all based on dreams?
1: No, not at all. Most are like creepy pastas, you know? Just a bit of fun.
2: Yeah, I've read a few. Short, scary stories, mostly harmless.
1: Yeah. I've lost my place. I can't remember what I was saying. So...
2: Kara was on there too.
1: O'Connell opens his notepad and searches for something. Cyrus beats him to it.
2: Underscore Kara P23 underscore. We checked. She followed you, but you didn't follow her. You ever get any messages from her? Any communication?
1: No. I don't really use messages on Creepy. I never heard anything from her. Cyrus nods, popping his lips.
2: Okay, okay. Fine, I think we're done. I'm sorry to trouble you, Mrs. Bright. Mary... And Tommy, thank you for taking the time to speak with us.
1: He pulls a card from his shirt pocket, lays it on the crumbs.
2: Anything else you think of, you call, okay?
1: She will. Mom picks up the card and pushes it into the pocket of her bathrobe. O'Connell mutters something, already out of the kitchen. Cyrus hangs back, and it takes me a moment to understand what he's waiting for. I don't give the papers back to him, though. I clench them in my fist. This is my story, and for some reason the thought of handing it over feels wrong. Feels like I'm giving up a piece of my mind. Thank you. He gestures for them. I hesitate a moment more, breathing deep, breathing slow. I take another look at the story, turning to the second page and seeing another avalanche of notes over the text. I'm only doing it in the hope he'll just go that he'll leave me with it, and I still can't explain why. Tommy? I turn to the last page, and as I do, he takes hold of it, pulling. This time, I let go, and it's nothing to do with him. I let go like somebody's told me there's a spider crawling up the paper, like I've seen a long leg bristle over the top. There's only half a page of my writing there, the last three paragraphs of the story. Beneath them is a doodle in red ink a round circle that's practically been gouged out of the paper. There's a second circle inside it, and a third, and together they make an eye, a boiling, blistering eye. And beneath that are four words written in a madwoman's hand. She sees me too. I manage to keep the tears locked up until I'm back in my room. But as soon as the doors shut, they're streaming out of me. I wave my hands to try to cool my face, my sobs sounding more like hiccups. They're short-lived, thankfully. I mean, I'm not upset. Not really. It's just, something like this gets to you. It's a little knife wound in the flesh of your life. There's a dead girl across town. And she was reading my story. The tears are like scalding water, and I smudge them away, breathing, breathing, burying it all as deep as I can. The room seems hyper real now, like I've chugged a gallon of Red Bull. The sun's too bright, even though the curtain's half shut. I walk to the window to pull the other side over, and the cops are there, chatting to each other over the roof of their sedan. Cyrus looks up and waves to me. O'Connell looks back and nods. Then they're clambering in and gunning up the street, chased by a tail of exhaust. You okay? I almost shed my skin like a bathrobe. I turn, try to smile even though my cheeks are still wet. Mom sighs, pulls her robe tight.
2: We can talk about this in a minute, okay? Just let me rinse off.
1: She waits for me to nod then disappears. Then her head pokes back through the door.
2: Don't blame yourself.
1: I don't, but the very fact she said it makes me feel like maybe I should. I wait for her to go, wait for the squeak of flesh as she climbs back into the tub, wait for Donnie to look through my door, mull something unspoken, and walk to his room. Then I sit on the bed and text Flint. I write-slash-delete half a dozen times before telling her the truth. That I need to see her now because the cops just questioned me about a dead body. Then I chuck the phone on the quilt and open the laptop. There's a second, when the screen boots up, where I'm twelve again, sitting at Dad's old PC. I'd had the dream again the morning I wrote the story, and I almost hadn't made it out. God, it had been so close. She'd been through the door. Her arm ten feet long, those brittle fingers searching for my face. I'd seen her teeth, crooked and yellow. They weren't human teeth, they were horses' teeth, hammered into her gums. She'd looked so old, but her acid grin was so bright it was eating through the fabric of the dream. I'd kicked and punched my way out of it so hard I'd fractured two knuckles on the bedpost. I'd almost not been able to sit down and write but I'd sat down anyway, my whole left hand numb, and I'd written. I can't even remember why. I just knew I needed to do it. I needed to write about her, because that way it wouldn't just be me anymore. That way, the whole world would see her. The screen flickers, glitches, settles. I can still hear Metallica whining from the headphones, and I put them on. Only now... I'm thinking of the witch. I'm thinking of her staring from the darkness of the wardrobe, that aching, unblinking eye fixed on me. My skin literally crawls and I shake the headphones off, looking back, looking down, looking up too in case she's beetling along the ceiling. And I'm suddenly angry as well as scared, because that old pitch was long gone. I didn't even think about the story anymore. And now she's back. Now she's everywhere. Now I'm going to dream about her. I know it. I shuffle to the top of the bed so there's nothing behind me but wall, resting the laptop on my thighs. I snap Facebook shut, opening a new tab and loading creepy.com. I've got messages waiting, but I can't bring myself to see if one of them is from a dead girl. I scroll back through eight stories to my first... To the one I called Witch. I was six years old when I first saw the witch. I look up. The house feels too quiet. I can't even hear Donnie's Xbox or mom splashing in the bath. All I can hear is the soft hum of the laptop and my own breaths, too shallow, too fast. I look behind me. Just wall, just wall. But that's not true, because there's a fist width of gap between the velvet headboard and the plaster. Enough space for her scarecrow's arm to slide up. Joints cracking. Enough space to look down and see an eyeball blinking wetly in the dark. Come on, I say, only not loud enough to really be words. I get up, open the curtains again, and some of her power goes. Then I unplug the headphones and turn the music up loud. Loud enough for mom to hammer on the wall and holler at me to dial it down. By the time I'm back on the bed, the sharper fear has gone. But that awful, dull, aching dread is still there. Still sits in my bones like a lead weight. Which has 832 hearts and 17 comments. Not bad for a short story by a 12-year-old. I click the comments, but they're all old ones. Nobody has written in years. There are some new likes though, and I scroll through them. I'm expecting to see her, but I still feel a fork in the outlet jolt when the name Kara P23 shows up. I hover the cursor over it, clucking my tongue. Then I click the name, and her page loads. It feels wrong somehow. It's like i'm inside her bedroom going through her belongings there's no photo just a slender man avatar she's been busy though because she's liked over a thousand stories on creepy she's only commented on four though pinch is one there's another called tubby a third called three dead things and lastly one called the tube game The link to Tubby works, but the links to the third and fourth stories are dead. There's not much else. A line of bio that reads, Hey, just a crazy girl who likes reading slash writing creepy stories. Scares easy, so go easy, okay? I scroll through her history. She liked my story two weeks ago. What had the cops said? That she died about the same time? had been enough time to print out the story 18 times and write 100 notes on it. I hate it. I hate the thought that she read my story so soon before her life ended. I go to the settings for which, hover the cursor over the delete button. But I can't do that, because part of me thinks that the story is the only thing holding the dream at bay, holding her at bay. So instead, I click private, which means that nobody else will be able to read it. There's a soft sound, just like somebody popping their lips in my ear. They turn my head so hard I feel something twang. Nothing. Just my phone. A message waiting for me. Holy shit, bird! seriously? On my way. Or you want to meet neutral? I fire one back saying, mall? Half an hour? There's a whine in my ear. The noise a camera flash makes when it's recharging. It's just the stress of the morning and I shake it away clicking onto Facebook. I type in Kara's name, finding her easily. We've even got a couple of mutual friends. It takes me a moment to gather the courage to open her page. And when I do, she meets me there. Pretty girl with a pixie cut, dyed electric blue, a nose piercing, petite, with the kind of cheekbones that could cut you. All smiles and stupid faces and family dinners and college sweatshirts and proms. There's no sign at all that she's into horror or writing or even reading. There's just one book listed on her likes and maybe half a dozen scary movies, none of which are that scary. And I'm almost ready to leave her there in peace when I see it. I didn't notice it at first because it's not one of her photos. She's only tagged in it. But that's a weird photo to be tagged in because she's sitting alone in what has to be her room at a desk. Her bed behind her. There's paper everywhere. Some of it even looks like it's floating in the air. Like it's just been disturbed by a strong wind. And I know that on at least one of those sheets of paper is my story. It feels like a violation. Like there's a piece of me sitting on the bed. A piece of my flesh. A table full of meat. My jaw hurts and I realize I'm clenching my teeth. And I feel like a mirror because Kara's clenching hers, too. She's staring at whoever took the photo. Almost. Because her eyes seem a little too low. Like she's looking at something else. Something lower. Like she's looking at a screen. It's a webcam shot, I understand. And I'm not sure she even knew it was being taken. Because nobody pulls a face like that unless they're scared. Unless they're terrified. Her lips are pulled back in a grin, but it's a corpse's smile. It's too big. Her teeth clamp tight. It's a witch's grin. And her eyes, they're huge. They look like they're about to roll right out of their sockets. They're huge and wet, and they are drenched in something unspeakable. My screen glitches again. That weird camera flash sound is back. It's my laptop. An ancient piece of crap, because mom can't afford a new one. I go to close the picture, wondering if I should send it to the cops. But they'd have checked her page, right? They would have had to. I look at the info, but there's nothing there about who posted the picture. It just says Facebook user. I don't click away, because something doesn't seem right. There's something bugging me. I look past Kara, past the piles of paper. It's her bed that's wrong. The shape of it. Her covers are bunched up, like she's just crawled out of them. But the pile seems too high. The photo is too grainy to make sense of it. But the more I look, the more I think I can see a form there. A form that's too much like a body. And there, in the darkest folds, gripping the fabric as if to pull it away. Four stick-thin fingers. I actually grunt like I've been punched in the gut. I click the photo closed, but the laptop stalls, the cursor spinning. I hiss out a swear, clicking again, seeing the bed, seeing those fingers, seeing Kara and her awful grin, seeing her looking right at me, looking right at me. The laptop recovers, the photo shrinks back to its thumbnail, but even that's too much and I slam the lid closed. Close my eyes, too. But all I can see there is Kara, burned into the back of them.
0: This Book Will Kill You Written by Alexander Gordon-Smith Adapted for audio by Jessica McAvoy Produced for the No Sleep Podcast by Phil Mykolski. Musical score composed by Brandon Boone This book will kill you, the first part Starred Jessica McAvoy as Tommy Bright Erica Sanderson as The Witch Dan Zapula as Donnie Aaron Lillis as Tommy's Mother Mick Wingert as Detective O'Connell Graham Rowett as Detective Cyrus and Kristen Di Mercurio as Flint. Join us next week for This Book Will Kill You, The Second Part. Part. This audio program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media Inc. All rights reserved. No reproduction or use of this content is permitted without the expressed written consent of Creative Reason Media Inc. The copyright for This Book Will Kill You is held by Alexander Gordon-Smith.